Well, in our um, scripture today, we have been talking a story about a man named Joseph. His uh, story is in the end of Genesis, and I encourage you, if you'd like, to go back and read it again for yourself, because there's some incredible uh, details. I'm going to just roughly go through his story, sort of the Reader's Digest version, con condense it, but there's lots of good, juicy parts of this story you don't want to miss that I won't be able to get into. So uh, I'd encourage you to go back and read it on your own this week. But what I wanted to talk to you was about this man, Joseph, who was a son. He was one of 12 sons, and he was the favorite son. And everybody knew that he was the favorite son. He knew he was the favorite son. His dad knew he was the favorite son, and all the other brothers knew that he was a favorite son because he got treated special. And in the particular, he had this coat. It was a long sleeve coat. It was a long length coat. Back then, in that day, when you worked, you had a coat, but the, only, the coat always came to your knee, and it was sleeveless. Because, you know, when I'm at home and I've got sleeves on like this, if I'm going to work, what do I do? You roll your sleeves up. You would never wear a long sleeve coat. So Joseph, being given that kind of a coat by his dad, was basically saying, you don't have to work. You don't have to get sweaty. You don't have to get dirty. You have 11 brothers that can do that. You're my special son. So every day when he would get up and put that coat on, taking a little knife and digging it in to his brothers, their minds, their hearts, and more and more a jealousy and envy and wanting to get him was a part of who they were. Well, finally, there comes this time that Joseph not only has a coat, but he has dreams. And in his dream, he has a sheaf of wheat that stands up that's his. And his brother each has a sheaf of wheat. And they all come, and they surround his, and they all fall down as if they're worshiping him. He has this dream, and he makes this huge mistake. He tells his brothers the dream. And they're going, you think we're going to bow down to you? You got another thing coming. So then he goes on and he has another dream. And in this dream, there's 11 stars and the sun and the moon and his star is in the middle and they all orbit around his. And he's not very smart. He tells them the dream. And it says in scripture, and the brothers were so jealous. It's an interesting thing. It then says, and the father who had made the comment, okay, if, if you're the star and there's 11 stars and there's a sun and the moon, then that must be me and your mom, and I don't think we're bound down to you. But it says his dad thought about this dream. And the reason that he thought about the dream is because he'd had his own dream. Years before, when he was a young man, when he was a trickster, when he lied and cheated and stole from his brother, and his brother was so angry at him that he was going to murder him. And to escape that, he ran away. And while he was away, he had a dream. And in his dream, there was a ladder that came down out of heaven. And at the, that on the ladder were angels climbing down and then other angels climbing up. And at the top of the ladder, he saw God. And God spoke to him and said, you don't deserve it. You haven't earned this. But I'm going to be with you. And I'm going to watch over you. 
And you are going to be the leader of a large family that will go to the north and the south and the east and the west. And when he woke up from that dream, it says in the scriptures, he's like, oh my, God was here and I didn't realize it. His dad had been a dreamer. And now Joseph is having dreams. Is God fulfilling his dream through Joseph? He thought about Joseph's dreams. So one day he sends Joseph out to check on his brothers. And when the brothers, who are so sick of that coat and so sick of his dreams, when they saw Joseph coming, they grabbed him and they're ready to kill him. And the oldest brother says, we don't want his blood on our hands. Let's just throw him in a pit and nature will take its course. He'll die in that pit, but we will not have his blood on our hands. And so as he's in that pit begging for mercy, Reuben walks to go someplace else. And while he's gone, these Midianite caravan come through. And the brothers wave him down and say, hey, want a slave to take to Egypt? We'll sell him to you. And so they grabbed Joseph out of the pit and they gave him to the slave traders and the slave traders gave them some money. And Joseph headed to Egypt. Now, they can't, they can't go home and tell their dad that they sold his favorite son. I mean, that's not going to go down. And so they conjure up an alibi and a story. And they take that coat they hate anyway, and they probably all took turns tearing it. One, here, give that to me. I'll tear this sleeve. No, give it to me. I'll tear that sleeve. No, I'll take it. I'll one in the front. No, I want it in the back where I take it and stab him. You know, they all take it. They tear his coat apart. And then they kill an animal, and they drip the blood all over the coat. And they take it back to the father. And they say, we found this coat. It's got blood all over. It's all bloody. Isn't this your son's coat? I think something bad's happened to him. And the father believes him. And though it doesn't say in scripture, I think in his mind he said, what happened to my dream? What happened to Joseph's dream? Our dreams are dead. There is no hope. And Jacob, for the rest of his life, lives in this deep, dark place, thinking his dreams are not ever going to be realized. They've died. This is hopeless. But the dream hadn't died. The dream was Joseph's, and Joseph was in Egypt, and he got sold in, to a, a man named Potiphar. Now, Miss Karen misunderstood forgot. They both start with P's, but the guy she was talking about up here was Pharaoh, not Potiphar. Okay? Whoops. She'll go back in the tape and like, ooh. It's easy to do. But Potiphar bought him, and he was a slave in his household, and he realized this kid is smart. He's a leader. He knows how to count. He's a good organizer. And so he starts getting more and more responsibilities in his business, in his household. It even says in Scripture at the end of it that, that Joseph was so trusted and so easy. I mean, he could do everything that Potiphar didn't worry about anything but what he was going to eat for the day. So in my mind, I'm thinking the only thing Potiphar had to do was go to the refrigerator and open up the door and say, what am I going to eat today? That's the only decision he had to make. Joseph was completely in charge. So um, Joseph does his job so well, he's lifted higher and higher, 
But there's one thing that he wasn't in charge of, and that was Potiphar's wife. And she wanted Joseph. And she began sexual harassment, trying to get him to do things that were not morally right with her, wanted to have an affair with her, wanted to be sneaky and do things behind Potiphar's back. And Joseph was having none of it. In fact, there was one day that she made it so nobody was around. It was just her. And Joseph walked into that, no witnesses, nobody there to help with and accountability. And she said, It'll, I got him now, right where I want him. And Joseph said no. And he ran out, he ran out of that house. But he left the coat behind. And she so angry that he turned her down, took the coat and made up a story and said that he had attacked her, that he was the one that was pushing her into this sexual relationship that wasn't right. And when Potiphar found out about it, he threw Joseph in prison. Interesting that the prison that he threw him in was in the basement of his house. So he went from being the top dog in the house to the, do the bottom dog in the pit. He was in that pit for a long time. But even in that place of being in prison, he rose into a leadership position, watching out over the other prisoners, caring, doing things for, for all of them. And one day, there was a butler and a baker that were servants to the Pharaoh that ended up in prison. And he could tell that they're... they're they were upset, not only about being in prison, but something else was going on. And so Joseph went and asked him, what's the deal? Why are you so upset? And then he said, well, we've had dreams, and we can't, we can't figure out what they mean, and they're scary dreams. And he said, well, you know, God gives dreams. So if you tell me your dreams, maybe God will tell me what they mean. And so they do. The baker and the butler share their dreams. And Joseph is able to interpret what the dreams would mean. And sure enough, within just a few days, everything that had been in the dream, every interpretation that Joseph had made, it all became true. And as the butler is leaving the jail, he's, one of the, the prophecies in his dream was that he would be released and restored and he would get to go back and serve the Pharaoh. Joseph grabs him and says, hey, when you get back to the Pharaoh, tell him about me. Tell him I'm innocent. Tell him I shouldn't be in this prison. See if you can get me in a place that Pharaoh would let me go. And the butler says, sure, I can do that. But it says in scripture, and I quote, the butler forgot all about Joseph. And then the next thing we read is two years go by. Now when he was um, pulled out of that pit and sold into slavery, he was 17 years old. Anybody here 17? Liar, liar, pants on fire. 17. And 13 years later, we're at this place. He has been 13 years either a slave or in prison. And finally, the Pharaoh has a dream. Do you notice there's pattern? Everybody has dreams about the future. And now Pharaoh has this dream, only he has two dreams. He has two nightmares, two nightmare dreams. 
and he doesn't know what they mean. And he brings in all the wise people he can think of in Egypt and tells them the dreams. And he says, what do these dreams mean? And they said, we have no idea. We've never run across anything like this. We don't know what to tell you. And finally, the butler says, oh, yeah, I remember. There's this guy in prison, and he could, he could probably tell you what the dream means. And so they go and get Joseph, and they bring him out of the prison, and he goes to Pharaoh, and the Pharaoh says, I heard you're the guy that can tell people what their dreams are. And he goes, nope, I'm not that guy. He says, God's the one that gives dreams, and God gives the interpretation. So if God gives the interpretation to me, I'll give it to you. Now here's the thing that's not in the story. And I can't give, I, I don't know exactly who to give credit to, but this is not my idea, so I don't want to take credit for it. But here's the amazing thing about Joseph. Wouldn't you, I would, you finally get this place where you are going to have a face-to-face with Pharaoh. He's the guy that's in charge of everything. Whatever he says goes. Would you not have taken the opportunity to say, hey, Pharaoh, let's make a deal. You help me, I'll help you. I'll interpret your dream if you let me out of prison. Could he not have did a little bargaining. He's, he's, got a, he's got a bargaining chip here. It's a pretty big opportunity. But you will not see that in Scripture at all. All that Joseph does is look at Pharaoh and see his need. He doesn't deal with any of his own personal needs. I think that's incredible about the character of Joseph. So the Pharaoh tells him the dreams. And Joseph says, here's what they mean. You've had two dreams. They mean the same thing. And because you've had them, and there's two of them, it means they're coming quickly. You need to pay attention to this. God is warning you. There will be seven years that you will have incredible crops. It is, you're, all your grain years are going to be full. You have abundance you won't know what to do with. But here's the warning. In seven more years, you will have famine, and there won't be anything that will grow. So the warning is, make sure you hold back during these years of plenty so you can get through those tough years that are coming. This is God watching over you. Pay attention. Now, Pharaoh is really glad that he knows what these dreams mean, but now he's like, oh my gosh, there's seven years of famine coming. What do I do? What do I do? What do I do? You know, it's not always that good news. He's got this problem that's ahead, and he doesn't know how to solve it. So this is where we have our scripture that comes in for today from Genesis 41. This is part of the the story. And the Pharaoh realizes that the guy that's told the dream, he knows what to do. So Joseph said uh, in verse 39, actually, I'm going to back up a little bit, and then we'll get into it. And now let Pharaoh look for a, and this is Joseph. He says, you know what? Don't panic. This can all, this all, God's warned you it's coming. All you have to do is prepare. He says, now let Pharaoh look for a discerning and wise man and put him in charge of the land of Egypt. And let Pharaoh appoint commissioners over the land to take a fifth of the harvest of Egypt during the seven years of abundance. And they should collect all the food of these good years that are coming 
and store up the grain under the authority of Pharaoh to be kept in the cities for food. Then this food should be held in reserve for the country to be used during those seven years of famine that will come upon Egypt so that the country may not be ruined by that famine. The plan seemed good to Pharaoh and to all of his officials. So Pharaoh asked them, can we find anybody like this man, one of whom the Spirit of God is? And then this is where our scripture starts. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God has made all this known to you, there is no one so discerning and wise as you. You shall be in charge of my palace, and all my people are to submit to your orders. Only with respect to the throne will I be greater than you. So Pharaoh said to Joseph, I hereby put you in charge of the whole land of Egypt. And so he rose to power. He got a new robe that was given to him, Pharaoh. He got a ring that he got to wear, and it was a ring that um, had an engraving in it. And whenever he would make a declaration or tell somebody to do something, he would have this little glob of wax, and then he would stick his ring in it, and that meant it's going to be done. There's no not doing it with my ring is in there. And he gave him an Egyptian name. He gave him an Egyptian wife. It, for culturally, it meant that they would look at him, believe in him as an Egyptian leader. And so they went through the seven years. And he collected the grain just as he had planned to do that. And then the seven years of famine come. And if you look in scripture, the next chapter, chapter 42, we, it's like, meanwhile, back at the ranch. Okay, They're, The 11 brothers are still living with the, the dad, and they don't have any food. Because not only did this famine happen in Egypt, it happened in all the countries around. God was providing a way for all those people to be saved from the famine. So in chapter 42, it starts, When Jacob learned that there was grain in Egypt, he said to his sons, Why do you just keep looking at each other? He continued, I've heard there's grain in Egypt. Go down there and buy some for us so that we may live and not die. And then ten of Joseph's brothers went down to buy grain from Egypt. Why? Because a little brother, Benjamin, who was only Joseph's pure blood brother, Jacob was afraid to send him for fear something would happen to him. He had this feeling that Jacob somehow knew that those ten brothers had done something that they weren't fessing up to. He didn't trust them to have Benjamin. So they go down in verse uh, 6. Now Joseph was the governor of the land and the person who sold grain to all its people. So when Joseph's brothers arrived, they bowed down to him with their faces to the ground. Oh, remember the dreams? Long time ago, when he was 17, they bowed down to him and put their faces to the ground. And as soon as Joseph saw his brothers, he recognized them, but he pretended to be a stranger, and he spoke harshly to them. Where do you come from? He asked. From the land of Canaan, they replied to buy food. And although Joseph recognized his brothers, they didn't recognize him. Look at verse 9. Then he remembered his dreams. Wow. I had never noticed that in the scripture before. You know what that says to me? It says he forgot the dream. He forgot the dreams. He thought they, 
Now that he was in a slave in Egypt, now he was in where he was with his family, the dream that he dreamed so long ago, it had a dream that died. But in that moment, I think it suddenly, it was like a whole huge picture. He got it. All those pieces of his life that seemed so, so torn apart and such a mess, started they, they all started getting in the, the picture puzzle. And he could see how this piece had to be here and this piece had to be here. He had to be in prison so that he could learn to be a, a, the administrator. He had to be a servant in Egypt so he could learn the culture and he could learn the leadership and he could learn how to plan and to, to get ready to be this place that he needed to be for the Egyptian people and for his people. He needed to be in that prison those two years because when Pharaoh had his dream, if he had got out two years ago, they wouldn't even have known where Joseph was. He would have been probably back in another place. He had to be where he was, even though those places that he had been were not fun and there was suffering. But now all of a sudden, click, 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 click. I get it. This huge dream has been God's plan, not only for me, but the way that I am a part of the big plan that he's doing for his people. As I have been studying this scripture for myself in my own time, oh, my word. Click, 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 click. I've been getting to see how this is all happening in my life. Right before Christmas, about uh, two weeks before Christmas, one day, it just was this overwhelming thought came over me. You need to write your testimony about when Hope Lynn died and all the things that happened, and you need to write that for the doctor that delivered your baby. Samuel. And I know that the doctor that delivered our baby after Hope Lynn died in the next year when, Sam, when Samuel was born and was very, very much healthy, that to this day, and I've kept a relationship with that doctor through all these years, 28 years, and every time I would go to see him and we would have some conversation, he knows I'm a pastor. But he, and I also know that he doesn't really know if there's a God or not. And I thought, okay, God, you want me to write this testimony and tell him that there's a real God and the part that he played in, in my life. And the very next week, and that's why I know it was so, so God, he gave me that, he told me that, because the very next week in the mail, I got an invitation to that doctor's retirement party. And it said, please send me any stories about when we were together in a doctor-patient relationship. I'm thinking, the door is open. <laughs> so I put that off. This was before Christmas. I put that off in January. I had his picture, his invitation up on my refrigerator. I had it there, and I just couldn't make myself sit down because you know what? I knew this was going to be hard. I was going to have to go through the muck of remembering those emotions and the pain and the grief. And I just didn't know if I could do that or not. But I knew I was called to do that. And finally, February 5th came. And that was the day that Hope Lynn was born. And four hours later, she left to be with Jesus. And so I decided, this is the day I'm supposed to start. And so I wrote that day. I wrote until uh, late in the evening, off and on. 
shed many tears, remembering back those days and all the ugly that we had to live through. But also, I began to remember all the hope that God gave us and the different people he put in the right places at the right time and the way he comforted us and the way that he worked through all of that and how that particular doctor, Dr. Chapman, where God put him and all the things that he did to bless our family and to watch over our family in that whole time. Eight pages later, 11-point font. <laughs> I finished on Samuel's birthday, February 11th. And I sent it to him. And I said to him, God has told me to write this testimony to you. And I know that because you are a doctor, there have been many things that you have seen that make you question whether God is good or whether there is even a God. But I want you to know my story. And I know that there is a God. And if there's God, there is hope. On Friday night of this week, as I'm working on my sermon, I know that that little baby boy that was born on February 11th in 1992 proposed marriage to a young woman who said yes. And it was a place that I am reminded again that there is purpose and plan in everything. Whatever happens into our life, God will use it and bring good out of it. The deepest, darkest places of suffering there is something that God will redeem and restore and use it for your good. It will happen. And when I um, was thinking about this and thinking about Joseph's story, I, I remembered these words from Romans chapter 8 that so much speak this truth and so much could be um, Joseph speaking these words. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Later on in the same scripture, it says, if God is for us, who could be against us? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. And then it goes on to say, I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future nor the powers, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Whatever is happening in your life, whatever has happened in your life, and whatever is yet to happen, it is a place that God is in a plan and you will see a victory there is a, a in the back of the hymn the pews there are these hymnals and i'd like for you to take it out and look at um, page 607 for on that page is a prayer that the person who who started the whole Methodist movement, 
um, back in the 1700s, would pray often. And it could be a prayer that he prayed, but also Joseph prayed. This is a prayer Joseph prayed. Maybe not these exact words, but this place he prayed in, in humbleness. Would you read it with me? I am no longer my own, but thine. Put me to what thou wilt. Rank me with whom thou wilt. Put me to doing. Put me to suffering. Let me be employed by thee or laid aside for thee. Exalted for thee or brought low by thee. Let me be full. Let me be empty. Let me have all things. Let me have nothing. I freely and heartily yield all things to thy pleasure and disposal. And now, O glorious and blessed God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, thou art mine and I am thine, so be it. And the covenant which I have made on earth, let it be ratified in heaven. Amen. As I read the story of Joseph, I'm thinking to myself, man, that's a high bar. When I grow up, I'm going to be just like Joseph. I want to be able to just be faithful in God's plan. Wherever I am, that I would be a blessing to the people that are around me. And when God moves me on, I'm ready to be a blessing in that new place that God has put me. So may we, may we take comfort in knowing that God has got the plan. And may we have hope that know that God will fulfill that plan in our lives. You know what? My plan and your plan, you know when it's finished? When I enter into heaven. In the glory of that, that's when the plan will finally be done. What places God places me in the meantime are yet to be known. But it will be a plan that's God-driven. Father, we thank you. We thank you for this incredible story. And we ask, Father, that you would help us to remember that when times are tough and when suffering happens and when sorrow happens, that somehow you will bring us up out of it, you'll bring us up out of those pits, and you will bless us and redeem us and help us to be able to move on into the days ahead that you have planned for us. And we pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Let's all